what would be your first thoughts if you heard a man or saw a man go up to a platform that was going to minister and to share from and teach within a church building and what you heard for the next hour and 30 minutes were things like this. It can, it'll even get better if you all just draw off of what's inside of me because, you know, I was sent back for you. I, I don't want to be here. You know? I just really don't want to be here. Now, don't take that wrong, but I'm telling you, where I was, no one wants to come back. No one. You can ask, you can ask the surgeon. I woke up from the operating table crying because I had to come back. <laughs> I actually was crying. I didn't want to come back, but he, Jesus told me, he said, it's not about you. It's about the people that you're send, being sent to. They need to hear what you've seen and what you've heard. Okay? So draw off of the Holy Spirit's gift in people. Pray in the Spirit silently to yourself while, while I'm talking, and I will answer your questions. My wife didn't say this, but in all the meetings that we go to, the people come up and they say, you answered my question, and it was random because you were talking about something else, and all of a sudden you just turned and you said, that's the kind of thing, you know, rather than call you out, you know, so that you can say you were called out by me, you know, that would take, uh, you know, all afternoon and this evening to, to minister to each one of you individually. Now, I've done that in churches, but it was because the Lord told me to. But I can do it from here. You can get your answer because I'm just listening to God. I'm not doing this on my own. Trust me, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this. And I'm the kind of person who likes to be in the orchestra pit and never be known. And I, in fact, you wouldn't believe what had to happen just to write my first book. Jesus had to appear to me and say, you know, that book's a mandate. He made me write it. I went 23 years without even telling my pastor what happened to me. I wasn't allowed to talk about it for 23 years. So if I wanted to make money or be a big shot, I would have done it right away, you know, 25 years ago. But I did not because it's sacred. So for me to do this and to act like I'm not even nervous up here is, is crazy because I'm not like that. I, I'd rather like do stuff in secret and, and you know, I'm just that way. And it's not, it's, not about, it's not about me. It's about you. So just know that, that, that you, you will get your package today. But the reason you're going to get it is because God has designed a, a plan that, of implementation in these last days that's beyond your understanding. Be, like right now, as I'm talking, the room is filling up with him. And you'll feel like you don't have a body anymore. There, many of you will feel like you're floating. And then our, our, our services last five hours. And it's, I, I actually hand the mic over at the hour. And no one can close. Our longest service is 11 hours. I, I closed every hour for 11 hours. And one, per, one couple crawled to their car. They could not, no one could leave. No one could get up. No one, no one dared move. In, in, um, in my, in my, our spiritual parents are Jesse and Kathy Duplantis. When I speak in their church, I get 25 minutes. But when I speak, all of a sudden, like, I look and there's a whole pew missing and they're on the floor laughing and I didn't even touch anybody. <laughs> 25 minutes. So you, you, do you understand? Don't put limitations on me calling you out or you got to get knocked out of your chair or, you know, I got to point to you and, and, and say something to you because God is in the room. He's ministering to you right now. What would you think about this if you heard this and this wasn't just the first three, four minutes, but it continued on like this in the same pattern about this person talking about themselves elevating themselves even though it was it came across as not elevating themselves talking about their own personal experiences throwing in a few scriptures here and there and not really expounding on them and telling of his own revelation that he had when he went to see Jesus in heaven and that he continues to have these trips to heaven would you be wondering where the gospel truly was or would you recognize that there's another gospel being presented here it's the gospel of self and it's the gospel of personal experience and supernatural experience and mysticism and 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 hearing the voice of God for yourself and having all these radical encounters and that's how you prove that you know Christ. This is what we're going to be looking at today as we look at this teaching and evaluate some of the things that are being said, look at passages of scripture, and we talk about 
the best gospel that we could ever possibly hear where we are not at the forefront or at the center and neither is any other created being. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. I was recently sent the link to this YouTube video from the service done November 3rd of 2018. And the speaker at this service that you just heard, and we'll continue to hear some clips today, was from Kevin Zadai. And you may be familiar with him, but he wrote a book, uh, and wrote many books actually, but he wrote a book uh, in 2018 called Praying from the Heavenly Realm. And this is the book that he is using in this teaching for this church service that he is speaking at, and he's teaching these people. This service, um, at least on this video, was an hour and 25 minutes long. We're not going to be listening to every single clip today, but there are going to be some highlights, and we're going to go back to Scripture, look at some things he said. And I want to leave you with the uh, consideration of thinking more along the biblical lines and being willing to test what he's saying regardless of of him and, and his following and who he's claiming to be. Because as you you listen to the clips I'm going to share, there was very little Scripture and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. There was very little scripture shared. There was, um, the his Bible was never open. I mean, he would, he would reference certain scriptures, but he was not expositing them in any way. He was not teaching from them. He was, it was almost as if he was utilizing them, it seemed like, to validate what he was saying. And I say that as someone who used to function in this type of vein, uh, to say things and sincerely, you know, wanted to, uh, represent God, but didn't realize that the things I was doing was deceptive. And so a lot of times it would seem that people are using their peppering in scripture in order to almost validate what they're saying. And that, that makes it okay. It almost passes the the sniff test, if you will, of being, of being okay. This is called the gospel of self. And the reason why I called it the gospel of self is because this teaching was all centered on Kevin. And it was really sad to me because there was a lot of stuff in there that he was using as analogies that all pointed back to his life and really a false humility, it seemed, when he talked that he would he would say things that, you know, it wasn't about him, but then he talked a lot about himself. It was really about him and, and the anointing he carried. And he began his public ministry, he says, when he actually came out in 2016, and he had written a book about when he died in 1992 on the operating table. We don't have any medical verification to back this up. We don't know the name of the doctor. We don't know if the doctor is still living or not to even question this. So there's an anesthesiologist and such. So there's a lot of unknown factors in here that you need to consider in that. And we don't even know if he died. This is this could have been something that he was in an anesthetic plane, and and this was all part of his imagination. We don't know, but he will write these books and will make comments and saying that God told him, the Lord told him, I want you to take note of that while we're listening today, that Jesus told him that that he, that he was given a mandate to write these, these books, as you just heard. And at the time of 2018, when he said this, he said, I still have 59 books left to write. He is making it uh, clear in that sense that this is all from God. So it kind of leaves the premise of going, well, if you question this, then you're questioning God. So you shouldn't really question it or try to test it because he's saying it is from God. But this is most definitely the gospel of self. You are not going to hear, and I'll leave the link below to the full message you can listen to if you'd like. 
but you're not going to hear the gospel presented, not the true gospel of Jesus Christ, not in this service. It's going to be his teaching from praying in the heavenly realm, from his own book. And he says that about the four-minute mark. He tells the people that they will be teaching from his book, that praying from the heavenly realm. And it seems kind of odd to me, and I have some personal experience with this, and I won't go into that today, but maybe that's another topic for another day. Uh, to go along with other things. But I do have some personal experience with this, at least listening to this, probably teaching from my own stuff as well in my personal experiences. So I I can relate to this on a couple of different levels. But it seems strange to me, a lead minister or someone who professes to be a prophet or or whatever, which he says in this video, he doesn't profess to be a prophet, but he's propped up as a prophet. Um, it seems weird that he that he's um, teaching from his own book rather than from scripture. So that seemed odd from the get-go. He's teaching from this book, from Praying from the Heavenly Realm. I wanted to share with you what the back of this book says. The subtitle of it is Supernatural Secrets to a Lifestyle of Answered Prayer. On the back of his book, it says... 100% success in prayer. Have you ever been discouraged by unanswered prayers? This is far from what God intends for his people. Kevin Zadai offers you the key to seeing your prayers answered, accessing your dual citizenship in heaven and earth. According to scripture, we inhabit both the natural and heavenly realms at once. The secret to answered prayers is listening to the words spoken in heaven and releasing them into your life. These are the prayers that God always answers. Many believers experience defeat in their prayer lives because they have neglected this supernatural secret. But praying in from the heavenly realms invites you into the heavenly uh, into heavenly invitations with Jesus, where answered prayers are expected and supernatural results are the norm. Learn how to access supernatural answers from the throne of God. Develop an experiential relationship with Jesus through heavenly visitations and unlock the mystery of living from the heavenly realm and infuse your prayers with power and authority. Learn to echo the words spoken in heaven and see your prayers answered like never before. Wow. Sounds like we need this book. Probably we need this book more than we need scripture, right? Because if Kevin's having to share this mandate that Jesus gave him, then this must be on par with scripture. Or it must be more powerful because scripture apparently is um, lacking and is not sufficient in telling us how to live godly lives. And it's not telling us how that we should pray to God and how we should trust in the Lord. So probably getting ahead of myself, but at any rate, we're going to listen to some clips today from this service. And again, I want you to consider of biblical thinking, of biblical discernment, and really testing what's being said. So with that, we're going to jump back in and listen to what Kevin has to say around the four minute mark. So let's see if we've gotten into the word at all. It's one thing for that. And then you say, well, you know, that's everything that happens to Kevin is because, you know, he got to have that happen. And because he's going to God's favorites and, you know, you get this thing where you, you kind of put me in a box. But see, don't do that with me because Jesus didn't refer to me as an apostle or a prophet or pastor, teacher, evangelist. He, he referred to me as Kevin. And. He said that the greatest in the kingdom is, is the servant of all. He said that if, because I chose not to put myself in the front, I got promoted. Because I chose to serve others, then, then, then I, I, I find myself in a position where people want to serve me. They want to help me now. But I, I served under a pastor. Now listen to me. We were assistant pastors while I worked full-time and my wife had a business. She worked full-time. We served the pastor for four years and I never got to speak from this pulpit. I got a Sunday school class and I had gone to heaven. And Jesus would, would appear to me every year to check up on me. And now I'm asked to go to that church several times a year. 
And that pastor's waiting for me. He wants to carry my Bible. He wants to protect me from bad people. He wants to do everything for me. Well, what happened? You see, I served him. Are you getting this? Okay. Okay, so do you have to understand something? It's not, there are no superheroes in heaven except one. You know, there's only one. And, and that's it. You know, everyone else, God set in the church some to be. God sets. It's a key there. Did you notice I said God sets? God sets. So you don't wake up one morning and you're a prophet. Because every prophet I know doesn't want to be a prophet. Every apostle I know that's really an apostle, they don't want to be an apostle. They, they don't. Because what you're carrying is for the next generation. You're not only carrying this generation, you're carrying the next generation on your shoulders. Hello. Do you want responsible for the next generation? You know, that is something that only God can set. I'm speaking from your future right now. I, I went to your future and I'm speaking to you as though it's mine now, but it's your future. I'm talking to you right now from a place that you haven't even lived yet. But I've been there. I've been to your future. I've seen the end already. I've been shown things that are going to happen in the next several years. They're my now, right now. Like there's people in here being healed right now. Yeah, I want to talk about that uh, to interject. He's another one that likes to say that he travels back in time. And so he says to them that he's speaking from their future and that he knows the end. I wish that he would share what he's been told about the end if he knows more than what scripture is telling us. And I would just remind people to consider what scripture has to say on the matter. Paul reminded the Corinthians that they are not to go beyond what is written. And so we need to always, whenever someone is bringing extra biblical revelation, meaning outside of scripture, and they're trying to say, well, God told me this, then those words are authoritative. There is never a point where God speaks where it is not authoritative because he is God. He never stops being authoritative. He never stops being authoritative. So we can't pick and choose what we want to say here as far as, well, you know, our words can be fallible. And uh, when God speaks, you know, I'm still practicing. This is a different topic, but, you know, people want to say you're practicing hearing the voice of God or practicing prophecy. You don't find that pattern in scripture. You don't find that sort of teaching or that sort of understanding in scripture. When God speaks, it's authoritative. So when he's saying these things, you need to take that in consideration. Or if anybody says this, anybody says, God told me, God showed me, Jesus said to me, I went to heaven, I saw all this, I saw A, B, C, and D. The first thing you need to be doing is you need to be opening up scripture and you need to be testing what they're saying. And to make sure that you know what scripture says in the proper context and that you are not going to be led away or led astray by things that are not found in the word of God. And so he's saying he's speaking from our future and that he knows the end. Um, he goes on to tell the people that, that, and he's again, he's talking about himself this whole time, that you cannot give up something for God and not get something back. So this is where I, when I, when I listen to this, I, some, I felt sometimes like I was listening to an infomercial, or I felt like I was listening to a motivational speaker, or I was listening to one of those gatherings that you go to where someone's trying to sell you a product you know, and they're trying to sell you on how, how it's helped them and how it's benefited them. And if you'll just buy into it and you'll just do what they're telling you to do or buy their book or buy their product, then you too can have all of these amazing things happen in your life, as opposed to pointing you back to scripture, because see, it doesn't seem as exciting. I say that because as someone who was part of this movement, it seems that experience is king. 
Experience is priority and experience. It, it is the, the, the thing that marks you from everybody else. If you can tell us some supernatural experience you've had and you can write a book about it or something, and then you can go on specific programs and you can promote that, then you'll get your foot in the door and you'll be able to do other things and do all these great exploits. Now, not everybody has that mentality. There are some people that genuinely want to do things for the Lord and they may not realize that this is being used in a manipulative way. There are some people that know full well that it's being used in a manipulative way and they do it anyway because they want to have their name known and they want to get out there. So I don't know Kevin Zadai's intentions. What I can tell you is is that this is most definitely the gospel of self because Jesus is mentioned very little in it. He's like an it's almost like he's an afterthought and there's scripture peppered through that we'll talk a little bit about as we get to that. But I want you today to focus on is this a biblical thing he's doing? Is this point? Is this glorifying Christ or is this glorifying Kevin? What is what is the teaching here? Because I never could figure out exactly what he was teaching. He also too, and I've watched several of his teachings in different areas when he's both at, whether this one or on TV programs when he's done it. He hops around a lot. He doesn't stay on one train of thought, and it makes it very difficult to almost follow him sometimes and see where he's going with this and to to see the complete thought of what he's trying to do and then to really tie it back and understand scripture properly it's very difficult I, that's my opinion and i you know someone else may disagree with me on that but when i watch his videos and listen to him i, I come away going i don't understand what he's trying to get across and i don't understand scripture any better um, after listening to him he goes on about the eight and a half minute mark, and he has this to say about what Jesus told him. Now, I have a responsibility to speak to this generation, because if I don't, the next generation is going to write about us, how we missed it. And I'm not going to let that happen. I was told that my publisher will be publishing books about this generation if I don't speak through that publisher now. So I have 59 titles I still have to write. And this has all just been with Jesus 45 minutes. It was a whole week, but it was compressed into 45 minutes. I got I to gotta speak to this generation because we are the generation that it can choose to wrap it up. Now, what has happened in the, in the political realm and in the governments all through the world, everything has been put on hold. But see, nobody really discerned it. There was an opportunity for it all to end and all the prophecy teachers be all excited because all their charts, you know, it just happened just like that. Bam, bam, bam. Or what Jesus did is he, he, he visited me and he said, you know, you can, you can stop all this. And he did this five years ago. He visited me. He took me up above the United States and he said, you know, you can delay all this. He showed me the next war with Israel. Psalms 83. All these nations around Israel were going to start a fight. It wasn't going to be Armageddon. He said, you know, you can stop this indefinitely. He used that word indefinitely. And I'm like, he said, you know, all, all of the teachings you're listening to, they're right in their theology, but they're wrong in their timing because the church has been sent is, is here to stop this stuff because he, this is what he said. He said, I cannot come back until the harvest is in and he doesn't even know when he's coming back but he does know he's not coming back until they come in oh did you hear me because it's already been spoken that he wishes no one to perish okay so he, he said you know you can stop this indefinitely through prayer and then he instructed me he said now when it does happen he said because the prophets have spoken it he said it will have to happen eventually but you can keep pushing it forward keep pushing it away indefinitely. Yeah, so he goes on to say that everything has been put on hold that Satan has designed. So you know, my question listening to this is, do they believe that God is sovereign? Do they believe that God is, is in control of things and that he knows the end from the beginning and that he sets the times and seasons for things? Do they believe that? 
or do they believe we set the times and seasons? Because that's not what it sounds like. It, it sounds like that we have all the power and authority. And this goes back to dominionism. And you'll hear, I don't know if we'll listen to that clip, but if you do, if you choose to listen to this, you do hear him at one point during this service that he's telling people, because it's all about us taking dominion. He says that around the 34, 35 minute mark. He says it's all about us taking dominion. You're going to notice, if you haven't noticed this pattern already, I mean, we're not even 15, we're not even to the 15 minute mark. He has talked a lot about himself this entire time. And when he does mention Jesus, it's like, oh yeah, I had this conversation with Jesus. And there are other things in here too that really kind of bothered me. Uh, for example, twice in the in his talk, he is almost irritated that God is telling him an instruction, the way that he comes across about it. We'll get maybe probably get to one, at least one of those so you can hear it. But it seems as if that he is very irritated when God is giving him instruction and it's um, inconvenient or it's, it's not what he wanted. I find that troubling that, that you would talk to God in such a manner and, and, and portray it that way instead of showing the reverence and the holiness towards God and the fear, the, the reverential fear of God when he's talking to you. It's almost as if he's talking to a buddy. And so the way he responds to him. So about 15 minutes in, he continues talking about, him, about himself. He stayed quiet, he says, for 23 years about his trip to heaven. He didn't want to write books. He goes on about a four-hour class for skydiving that he had. He had to learn how to do the skydiving properly, and he didn't understand why he had to have a four-hour class to learn how to um, to to pull one uh, handle so that way he could pull out the parachute. And then he talks about how it's really hard to skydive and to do that and to get down to 5,500 feet and, and to pull the cord. And he says that there are people in heaven who want to meet the people that are there in the services. So he says, you know, they really want to meet you. Um, you know, Enoch wants to meet you and all these people want to meet you. He says he can prove it because of what Jesus said, talking about John the Baptist, that there was no one greater in the kingdom than John the Baptist, but those after John the Baptist would be greater than him. So he uses that verse and talks about it. But again, there's no open Bible. And some people may think, well, you're being really religious and legalistic in saying that. Would you prefer to hear someone that's just sharing their personal experiences for an hour and a half and they're they're adding scripture here and there and they're not even referring to the actual open passage to where they can tell you what it actually says or would you prefer to have what he's doing and then you don't know if he's telling you something that's truly in scripture and you don't know if if he's really telling you something that's biblically based and if it's the proper context because that's what that's what has happened here is that the verse is being stripped of its context and it's being taken out so he can say, oh, I'll prove it to you that people want to see you in heaven. There's nothing in there that tells us that people are waiting to see us in heaven. They're not focused on us. They're focused on God because he's at the center. If you have the right gospel and you have the right theology, the correct theology and the, the, the correct understanding which leads to a correct and, and proper relationship with God, then you're going, it's, it's going to be the truth. But when we have this, this concept of what's well, all around, it's all about us. It's not about us really, but it is really all about us because we think we're that special and that God thinks so highly of us. And as you're going to see as we, as we continue through this, whether it's Kevin's intentions or not, I don't know. When he's talking about himself in here, it, it sure sounds like he, he really thinks highly of himself. Um, he talks about people experiencing God when he was a flight attendant. So after his uh, his 
alleged death experience he talks about, that he says that things changed for him, that he began when he was a flight attendant, he began to walk down the aisles on the planes and people would laugh and demons would manifest and that all these things would happen and that um, it was because the people were experiencing God, that, that people would say, well, there's something on you when you walk by and they would laugh and do all these things. He goes on to continue to, to say things about himself to people and to say this um, with regards to what they are supposed to be doing and what Jesus told him to do. God, is, his kingdom is advancing at such an alarming, powerful rate that if you choose to participate in it, it's going to be really quite a ride. But you have to be ready to do what I, I said that took four hours to ingrain in me in that environment. Because, see, what my goal is is, is not what you feel right now. It's Monday morning when I'm gone. Can you do this? See, this isn't a drive-by. This is permanent discipleship. That's what Jesus said, no more drive-bys. He said, Kevin, no more drive-bys. The day of drive-bys is over. He said, you make disciples. You replicate me. That's what Jesus told me. How can I mess this up? He's right here. He said, replicate me. He said, I want everyone walking in this. Why do we need his new revelation and his new experience with Jesus to know that we are to make disciples, that we are to minister the gospel? What is it that he's sharing that's not shared in scripture? That's something that you need to consider. And I need to consider. As he goes on, he continues to say that he gave up the Air Force Academy in order to go to ministry. This was one of the accounts I wanted to play for you where he talks about how he talked to God. And I want you to judge this for yourself and to see what your takeaway is from this when you hear him talk about how he was interacting with God. So does it surprise you that I finish college and then I go and I do another another phase of my education and then I get an opportunity to travel with that ministry. And the Lord says, no, you're going to Southwest Airlines. I go, excuse me, I'm going to be a singer for this ministry. I left everything for you. And then I thought, well, oh, he's going to have me be a pilot. He said, no, you're going to be a flight attendant. I go, what? So I just want you to know this about me so that you know that this stuff doesn't come easy. It costs you. But you can. It's worth it all. Because this is what happened. Okay, so he goes on to talk about how he answered that call. And what's interesting is a little bit after this, which is around the 25-minute mark, he mentions a story with this man that, well, I'm just going to play it for you so you can judge it again for yourself. After I answered that call and I went to Southwest Airlines, a captain for Southwest Airlines, who is a Mormon, he comes to me and he says, you told Captain so-and-so that you wanted to get your commercial pilot's license. I go, yeah, eventually I will. I said, I, I left the, everything and I, you know, I'm, in the, I'm in, the, in the ministry, so to speak, but I'm, I, I'm here at Southwest. He goes, well, are you going to be a pilot for Southwest? And I said, well, I want to get all my ratings and then I'm going to and then he's like, what, what really are you? And I said, I'm called of God. He goes, well, yeah, I, I can understand that. He said, well, this is what happened to me. He said, when I was 16 years old, I used to go out and watch the airplanes take off and fly. And this guy came up to me. He goes, you want to learn how to fly? And he owned, like, part of the airport. And the guy goes, you know, my captain friend. He said, yeah. He said, well, why don't you come watch airplanes for me, and I'll give you all your ratings. All I ask is that someday you give it to someone else. So he gave him all his ratings. It was like, you know, my, mine, what he gave me was worth $250,000 worth of training. So he said, I have to do this before I die. So the Lord told me you're the one. Now he's Mormon, but he said, I have to give this because this guy did it for me years and years ago. So that's how I got my ratings. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to re-listen to that a couple of times because I, I thought he said a Borman initially, but it's a Mormon. A Mormon came to him and said the Lord told him to do that. So Kevin is using that as an example, and I don't know what his his beliefs are on as far as the LDS community and his understanding of their theology and their doctrine. But he uses this story 
as a way to say, see, the Lord told this man. And that's a whole other discussion that we need to be having as far as which Jesus is this man talking to and, and or talking about. Yeah, so that's that's a whole other that's a whole other topic, a whole other discussion. There's lots of different mini discussions that could be held inside this particular episode today. But I want you to consider that he's acknowledging and saying this man said the Lord told him and he's a Mormon. Okay, so he goes on and says that no one discerns you unless you're spiritual. Now, this is one that he says is about the 33 minute mark. He says no one listens. uh, No one discerns you unless you're spiritual. And he references 1 Corinthians 2, which I want to go to that and read that because that stood out to me. I've heard people such, uh, for one example, I've heard Catherine Crick use this in some of her talks and some of her teachings. She will reference 1 Corinthians 2, which it begins in verse 6. And it says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I want you to take note of something here is that Paul is actually talking to fellow believers in Corinth when he says this in 1 Corinthians 2. He's talking to fellow believers in Christ. What that's not saying is, and what I think might be being inferred here, because I've heard, like I said, Crick and other people mention this, is when they talk about 1 Corinthians 2, they immediately talk about that, you know, a spiritual person is discerns and they're not subject to the carnal man. And sometimes they will equate people that they deem as having a, quote, religious spirit as that carnal person. Because the person that is questioning things or they believe is being critical or religious, then they are not discerning the things of God. They will uh, misappropriate that scripture in 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So they will take that passage and they will say, well, those who are really deep in the Lord and that they are really um, seeking after God and they're open to these things and they're not rejecting these things that that scripture doesn't testify of or that we're supposed to and that we are supposed to, in fact, test. They will apply that scripture to people and they will say, well, see, because they question they're being carnal, they're being natural minded. And so you have to be deep in God to understand these hidden truths. Well, the mystery that's being talked about is the gospel. (laughs) I mean, if you look in scripture over and over again, it's the gospel. That's the mystery. The mystery is of Christ coming and redeeming and reconciling people back to the father through his atonement on the cross. That's the good news. That's the gospel that we are no longer under the wrath of God any longer as believers in Christ. 
that we are no longer at enmity with God. We are at peace with God. The wrath of God no longer abides on us because of Christ's satisfaction of the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross. We are made co-heirs with Christ. We are adopted into the family of God when we repented and put our trust in Christ, when we put our faith in Christ to save us and to give us the promise of eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Instead, what's being shared here is the gospel of self. So, well, it's just, well, no one discerns you unless you're spiritual. So that means, well, no one can come to me and tell me that my experiences aren't valid or real because they're being carnal. But if you're spiritual, you'll really understand that what I'm telling you is from God. So just leave it at that. You'll know you're spiritual because you'll believe what I'm telling you. You'll believe the gold dust. You'll believe the feathers. You'll believe everything I'm telling you, which he talks about some of those manifestations that he didn't believe in those things, but then they were presented to him about the gold dust and about angels and all these other experiences and stuff that he says he didn't believe in. But, you know, he's using that scripture to say, even to compare himself before then and saying, oh yeah, well, I was more carnal minded in a sense. And, you know, that, that this is why I didn't value those things, but God is really helped me to understand that. So I carry gold dust and silver dust that was given to me by a lady because I had a piece of paper with Hebrew words on it that were from Exodus talking about they took the silver and gold out of Egypt. And she came to me and said she had the gold dust and the silver from 1972 and to give it to me and put it in on the piece of the two pages of paper that I had. So he uses experiences like that in order to validate them and to say, oh, yes, this is actually what took place. So you shouldn't question it because God will correct you on this just like he corrected me. I hope that sheds a little bit more light as far as that subject is concerned. Because again, I have heard this this particular passage used in, in that context. And typically when it's used, it's to say, well, those who are childlike and innocent in their understanding or are spiritual in their understanding of the deeper things of God are the ones that are really going to latch on to these teachings and to prosper from them and to understand them. As he goes on before he begins his actual teaching, which is starts to begin the 36 minute mark, he prays before then he tells the angels to go on standby. And the first thing he says as far as his teaching regarding heavenly realms is that Jesus gave him an impartation in his presence for 45 minutes, which he talked about a few minutes ago in the clip we heard. And before he didn't care or believe in gold dust, as I just said, he talks about some of these manifestations. He talks about not wanting to be a false prophet. He talks about uh, the spirit realm and bringing these things into the physical realm, which is, he says, is what we're doing when we are praying, that we are taking things from the spirit realm and bringing them into the physical and causing them to manifest for those that, that give credence to this type of teaching. At the 46-minute mark, he says this about getting heaven's attention. Okay, so if you want to get heaven's attention, what is it that you need to do? You need, you need to make yourself available, which means that you are a good soldier. Now, a soldier, according to Paul, does not involve himself in civilian affairs. So a good soldier of Christ is a parallel of the military. That's why most people that are religious will not accept the true, absolute truth of heaven, because God is living and sitting on a throne that has layers, foundations. If you check it out in Psalms 89, it it tells you there's a layer of of, of righteousness and a layer of justice and the truth surrounds him. That's the angels, the truth of faithfulness. I mean, faithfulness surrounds him. There's truth in his, in his throne. So when he judges, he judges righteously. Like I said last night, he doesn't ask you for your opinion about anything. In fact, he wrote a book about you according to Psalms 139 verse 16. He wrote a book about you without you being in the meeting. Never once invited you to one of the board meetings. 
Think about it. Think about the way you think. You're like, why do those 24 elders get to go to those meetings and I don't? Well, the Trinity's having meetings about you right now. And the angels are being instructed according to what you can believe for. But see, belief is really trust. And you can't trust somebody unless you know them. So here's the key, the key to walking in the supernatural. In order to get heaven's attention, you have to look at people that got heaven's attention. So Jesus instructed me. Now, how can I mess this up? He's just right there. He told me the church right now, right now, the church is at the pool of Bethesda. Yeah, so I don't know if you caught that or not, but in order to get heaven's attention, we have to listen to those who have gotten heaven's attention, which are people like Kevin, is what he's saying. And we have to know God's personality. We have to, in order to really hear from heaven or to get heaven's attention, we have to be connected with these type of people. Do you see how this is a gospel of self? Do you see how this is pointing more towards Kevin or or those that believe that they've heard the voice of God or had these supernatural experiences, and it's really not pointing back to Christ. It's almost using Christ as like a gateway, as a gatekeeper to get to these special people that you need to listen to instead of listening to Scripture. I mean, we have the authoritative Word of God, the sufficient Word of God that we can go to as believers, and we can understand it. We can glean from biblical teachers— and pastors of what scripture has to say. As lay people, we are to be reading scripture for ourselves and to understand it and growing in our knowledge of God, growing on our relationship with Christ and growing in spiritual maturity. We are responsible for that. And so he's propping himself up again. I don't know what his intentions are. But when you're saying that the only way to get one of the ways to get heaven's attention is that you need to listen to those who have already gotten heaven's attention, it's steering you back towards a man or woman, and it's not steering you towards Christ. And then he goes on about the 51 minute mark, and then he talks about the creation of him. So I want to, I do want to share this because he continues. I mean, he's going to reiterate over and over again how he will tell everyone what Jesus told him and why he's going to share these things, which I would again ask, why not share the more sure word of prophecy, which is the gospel in accordance with scripture. But at any rate, um, he shares this about the creation of himself and what God showed him. So when he breathed you out into your mother's womb, I mean, I stood on the spot where he breathed me out in my mother's womb and I was standing there now giving account for my life. It was a circle and his word returned to him. That's what happened to me. So Jesus thought of me, he showed me the whole process. He let me walk into his eyes and I watched the process of him in, in, in creating me. I saw in his mind, he formed me in, in his mind. He named me and then he breathed me out and my spirit went into my mother's womb. And I wasn't a mistake. And he said, your parents were privileged to carry you because I was a voice to this whole generation. And, and devil tried to kill me so many times. And, and you wouldn't believe the stuff that was said to me and how I was rejected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about us. It's not about him either. Just remember that it's not about it's not about any of us, but then it is about us, <laughs> and and it points back to that. And you know, one of the things that stood out to me too when he was talking about how he had speaking about the gospel of self, when he had talked about how he had left his job and he had served and done all these things and done what the Lord told him to do, and then he went into full time ministry. That really hits home with me too, with me personally in how I viewed things in the past because. I can I can very much relate to that that gospel of self because where I was in the medical profession for a number of years 
and practicing as a doctor and then coming out of that. When leaving my profession, I thought that the Lord had been calling me all those years to go in full-time ministry. When I felt like that the Lord was telling me to leave my workplace and giving me all these visions and dreams and having other people thinking it was confirming it to me and thinking I was going to do all these great exploits to go into full-time ministry and to travel. And and I had all this envisioned in my mind. And then I was also going to stay at home and take care of our children, which I will say serving God is my greatest, the greatest ministry we have as believers. And then behind that, it's going to be for me serving my husband and serving my children. There is no ministry that is going to supersede that or surpass that or be greater than that. Nothing could ever surpass that. And so now being humbled in that and, and, and recognizing what true ministry is and what it is not has been a great blessing and a gift in my life. It doesn't mean it's perfect all the time, and it doesn't mean that I get it right all the time, but I thank God for His grace and His mercy and helping me to grow in spiritual maturity day by day. But I had all this in my mind. Talk about the gospel of self. I can relate to this. I thought, oh, God's calling me into this wonderful thing, and I'm going to be doing these great exploits. And then, you know, there were doors opening, I thought, and all these opportunities, and then the whole thing with the Passion Translation looked like it was going to come to fruition, and, you know, it never panned out, which, thank God, it didn't, and even after I found out some things, I still would have said no (laughs) after finding out. But anyway, there were just these things that happened. And I thought in my mind, I had it all figured out. And then the Lord in his divine providence took me in a different direction and helped me to see the air that I'd walked in and such. And so ministry, as far as public ministry looks very different than what I thought it was going to be, but that's okay. Because God is going to use my my error for His glory. And that's the intent of that. So I could very much relate to what Kevin was saying, but not in a good way. It was a negative way because I thought, wow, that was really the gospel of self, wasn't it? I can very much re- <laughs> relate to that. And being so thankful for the true gospel of Jesus Christ that is centered on Christ and Him crucified and what He did and the sufficiency and the love and the grace and the mercy and the holiness and the righteousness that comes through knowing Christ and what He did on the cross and understanding it's a finished work. And there's nothing I can contribute to it. Jonathan Edwards said, the only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin which made it necessary. And I could not agree with that more. Um, As Kevin Zadai goes on, he makes an interesting quote about the Bible and about the hour mark. Let's see what he has to say about the Bible. So that's why it's so important that you respond right in any situation. You, ha- you have to be sober-minded, like it, Paul told Titus in Titus 2.6. So my bottom line is, you notice I don't look at my notes, but I'm quoting all these scriptures. You see, because I, I learned that once I leave that airplane, I don't have time to look at my manual. And you don't want me looking at my manual on, on pre-flight, and you're sitting there, you're, and I'm taking you somewhere, and I'm looking, and, and you, I, you see me turn to the first one, hey, what's this red button do? Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? See, do you understand now about God? Once you know God, you trust him because you know him. Okay, you know the airplane, and then the pilot knows the airplane, and then you can put trust in the pilot because he knows the airplane equipment, but you don't. We're, we're supposed to trust in that situation. He's using the analogy of where he was a pilot, and he's talking about the manual that he is supposed to know in order to fly the plane. And we're supposed to trust because he's equating the manual with the Word of God. Well, you notice I don't look at the Scripture because I don't, I don't want to have to be, look, you know, you don't want someone having to be looking at their manual. Yes, I do. As a as a lay person and believer in Christ, if I'm going to be sitting under somebody that is supposed to be teaching and ex- preaching the word of God, 
you're darn tootin' that I want to see somebody open up their Bible and to read it and to help me to understand how to read it properly so that way I'm not led astray and deceived. That right there, I mean, that may be a small thing to people, but that right there, the fact that he's saying, you know, I don't, you know, I don't open my scripture and read it because I've got the manual memorized and you don't want me to look at the manual. Um, I'm going to have to say uh, pass on that. I'm going to have to pass on that. Because someone that really wants you going back to scripture and understanding it properly so that way you can truly develop uh, a greater fellowship with God and know his ways is going to encourage you. And they're not going to discourage you from that, nor are they going to put it into question. Well, why are you questioning me? Because I don't have my Bible open when I'm teaching you. The reason why he's not opening his Bible is because he's using his personal testimony as the gospel. That's why the Bible is not open. Because he is using his personal testimony as the gospel of Kevin in order to expound on that. And you're supposed to listen to him because he's gotten heaven's attention. As he goes on, he talks about that we're dealing with the devil's work in this realm. And if not, he asks, why did Paul list witchcraft as a work of the flesh in Galatians 5? He then goes on to talk about um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. And he, he mentions this in here. So I wanted to play a little bit of this so that you could hear it, because he's talking about spiritual warfare here. So I wanted to play this for you so you could have a listen to it. Jesus took me and he said, look, he took me to this verse, in, this very obscure verse. Everybody knows part of it. But where it says that he, he says that he, he said that we, our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down strongholds. Everybody stops there. Jesus went further. Of course he did. <laughs> he said, he said, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Okay, I thought I was going to have to wrestle demons all day. <laughs> so my friends, they want, me to rent, they want me to rent a hot air balloon with them because they want to go up and do spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. I go, I do it for my apartment for free. <laughs> you all didn't get that. I go, I don't have to go look for devils. They come looking for me. And I'm like, you want a piece of me? And they just line up and I just beat the living daylights out of them so that they go back and report so they gets around and, and they just say, you know what? Don't go near him. You want to, because he's a real Christian, because he knows God's ways. Yep. So now you know that what you're missing, because you are not asking the devil, do you want a piece of me? And you're not whipping up on him. See, I used to have this mentality as well. You know, there's this whole teaching that goes around in these circles too of, you know, when you get up, the devil should tremble when your feet hit the ground and that the demons should be afraid of you. And again, it's the gospel of self. But the devil doesn't fear you, and he doesn't fear me. And anybody who tells you that he does is lying to you. And they are giving you a false sense of power and authority. The fact of the matter is that the demons fear Jesus. They fear God. They don't fear you. This, again, it's propping self up. It's, it's, it's egotistical. When he's talking about spiritual warfare, he, he talks about the Second Corinthians 10, as I said, he discusses this, but with 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, when we look at it in context, we, we see that Paul is actually addressing the false apostles, the super apostles that have come to question Paul's ministry, and they challenge his authority as an apostle or even his qualifications to be an apostle. So I found this on BibleRef.com. This is BibleRef.com. This is a good source to check out um, if you're looking at passages, maybe one source that you can look at among several when you're doing a Bible study. But this BibleRef.com, you can look up uh, verses, and, and they may have some um, expounding on there for right now, and some of them they're still working on. 
But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, Paul, that there were opponents of Paul's ministry that challenged his authority. And so Paul is addressing this. And the fact that Paul, this says on here, it says the fact that Paul introduces warfare into the conversation signals the seriousness he gives this conflict. Those among the Corinthians challenging his authority are not merely competing. They are disrupting the growth and health of the church. Paul knows this is not a simple contest for power. It is a spiritual battle with eternal consequences. He and his friends take on this battle armed with spiritual weapons, not physical or fleshly ones. And he talks about that these powerful weapons can destroy strongholds. And it says on here, this phrase literally implies the ability to overcome resistance and break through barriers. And the Greek word there that's used also referred to arguments used during a debate. And then as it goes on in verse 5, they say that uh, this passage is answering critics among the Corinthians who claim Paul's brash letters and calm persona are evidence of hypocrisy or weakness. And they were trying again to undermine the authority of Paul. But Paul takes this challenge seriously, and he sees himself at war with these false teachers. He has written that he does not fight with physical weapons, but with spiritual ones. And these tools, such as prayer and scripture, are powered by God. This makes them potent enough for Paul and his fellow workers to destroy strongholds of resistance to the true gospel of Jesus. And it says the prior verse in verse 4 used terminology referring both to military fortresses and to debate, combining imagery to make a powerful point. Paul is addressing here the Corinthians. He's addressing the false teachers, the super apostles that are trying to undermine his authority, to undermine his um, preaching of the gospel. And he's telling the Corinthians he is an apostle, but that they're not waging war against flesh and blood, but the weapons that they have are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. He's referencing him as an apostle and those who are apostles. And it's one that's interesting, too, is even if you go on to verse 6, he talks about, well, not a lot of people read verse 5, but, you know, a lot of people don't read verse 6, which says, after he says these things, he says, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Well, he's talking to the Corinthian church when they are going to obey scripture, then a lot of scholars believe, some scholars believe when I've read through this is that um, they believe that when he says to punish every disobedience, he's referring to those that either won't agree with it, or he's talking about the false teachers. And this is not about physically harming them because Christians are not told and condoned to do such and act in such a way. But we, he's talking about many people believe it could be church discipline or excommunicating these people that are trying to bring discord and division among the true gospel. So that's what 2 Corinthians 10 essentially is talking about from just that one particular reference that I found. Now, he does go on to talk about an angel came into his room and tried to put sickness on him that he says, oh, you need to back off, Jack. And, you know, I'm not going to accept that. And, um, you know, just talking in such a way, again, a very puffed up type of way and saying, you know, if you accept sickness and and things, then you just don't understand heaven's truth and heaven's promise to you and God's promise to you. And I would just encourage you that, um, encourage each of us that the true gospel of Jesus Christ is centered around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, are we promised that we are going to walk through this life and not be sick? No, we're not promised that. Are we promised that we're not going to ever face any adversity um, financially or in our marriage or in our home or in our workplace or anything else like that that would not look prosperous? No, we are not. Are we promised that we will not escape some sort of terminal illness 
in this world. No, we're not promised that. Now, there are people that are going to push back on this, and I understand, and I get it, and there are people who are going to disagree, and that's fine. We can have a discussion about it, and they're going to use certain passages that will try to say, well, we are promised this because it's what it talks about, but when you read it in context, such as 1 Peter 2.24, I know that was one I was told a lot over the years and one I I also used that by his stripes we are healed. Well, when you look at 1 Peter 2.24 in context, that's not what it's saying. It's not talking about physical physical healing, that we are all promised physical healing. I think that we need to be truthful in looking around and saying, if we're all promised physical healing, then why did Christians get COVID? If we're all promised physical healing, why are there Christians that die of cancer? If we're all promised physical healing, why are some of us wearing glasses? If we're all promised physical healing, why are some why do some people that are believers have diabetes, high blood pressure, even if they take good care of themselves? Why is that happening? And the answer is because we live in a fallen world. Now, are we promised complete healing after the uh, in eternity if we belong to Christ? Yes, because we get a a new body. We're going to be in a glorified state with, with God. That There's not going to be any more sickness, no more tears, no, nothing like that. No death, no disease, no nothing. But to say that we, are going to, that we are promised all these things on this side of the cross is just not true. Does God still heal? Yes, he does. Does God still do miracles? Yes, he does. And he does them according to his will and according to his timing and his plan and his purposes. No amount of you and I decreeing and declaring and demanding and commanding and doing all these things is what causes that. He invites us to pray because we are putting our trust in him and our hope in him. But God is sovereign. And that seems to be a thing that's missing from some of the things that are being espoused in these teachings is that there is a lack of the sovereignty of God, but they're talking about the power of man that comes through God. They talk about um, the gospel, the prosperity, and that we are promised prosperity, and, and that believers that don't latch on to prosperity, it's because they're just not receiving what God wants them to receive, and God is so sad because they won't receive His promises. Again, you're, it's making a God of our own imagination. If we think that God is constrained by us and our doing, and that we have the power, we wield the power to let God do what He wants to do, we've got another God on our hands. And it's a God that we fashioned out of our own hands, by the way, and that we have formed and that we've made into our own image instead of trusting God when we are facing difficulties. And you know what something else I would say is he talks about, Kevin talks about, you know, if an angel were to come to you and say, oh, you're going to be poor um, and, and this and that, or you're going to have this type of sickness. Let's deal with poverty, for example. Jesus said in scripture that we would always have the poor with us. He told the disciples this, you will always have the poor with you. The, the statement that I want to make here is, is that the true gospel can be proclaimed everywhere with the same outcome, which is salvation of souls which is people being regenerated and born again and brought into the kingdom of God, brought into the family of God and being adopted as sons of God, as co-heirs with Christ because of what Christ did. You cannot preach this gospel in Africa. You cannot preach this gospel in the the most poverty-stricken places on the planet. Now, as someone who has been to third world countries, I've been to Sierra Leone. I've I've been to Africa twice. I've been into the remote parts of the bush when you're talking about Africa. I've seen poverty in Sierra Leone, in Freetown. Seen it with my own eyes. Now, are you going to take that gospel that you're talking about, this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, and you're going to take it to Africa, and it's going to replicate Jesus every single time? The answer is no. That's not the true gospel. That's another gospel. You cannot preach that word there and get the same results every single time. 
And it's not us who saves people either. (laughs) Just so we make that clear. It's not us who saves people. God uses us graciously. He uses us to proclaim his truth and proclaim his word. But he's the one who saves people. He's the one who rescues and redeems people. He's the one that, that makes, brings a dead man back to life. He's the one that does that. So the true gospel can be proclaimed everywhere with the same outcome. And that's salvation. That's the promise of eternal life. Repentance. The old man passing away and the new coming. But you can't preach the prosperity, go- prosperity gospel in the remote parts of these places that are the poorest places in the world where they are poverty stricken and people are dying from famine and starvation and the children are dying and, and, and speak this kind of stuff. And to say, yeah, you know, if someone comes to you and says that you're always going to be poor, you don't need to accept that because you're just not believing and you're not getting heaven's attention and you're not receiving all that heaven has for you by doing that. Well, we are because what God did is that he sent his son. He sent his son to save us. There are some people that are going to be blessed with more finances. There are some people that are not as blessed with finances. There are people that are wicked. He talks about the wicked making more money and that your boss just doesn't value you and and is not paying you what you're worth and stuff. Do you know what that's called when the wicked prosper or they are experiencing things in this world that they experience the sun shining and they experience the rain coming and giving them in, in rural areas, let's say, and that they have crops that are growing and that, that their farms are plentiful and that they're um, abundant and they're prosperous, but they're, that they're wicked or they're, they're not believers, but they're prospering naturally. You know what that's called? That's called common grace. That's common grace. Everybody experiences this on earth, whether they're unbelievers or they're believers. We all experience a common grace that God extends in this earth. But there are people that are poor naturally, but they are rich spiritually because they belong to Christ. And that's the thing that's missing from all this is that we've equated it with, well, if you're prospering financially, then that means that God's hand is on you. If you have a bunch of followers on social media, that means God approves of what you're doing. If you have A, B, and C, according to what the, the, the world says is success, then that means that God really has his hand on you and that you are blessed. That does not mean that. It does not mean that at all. When you're talking about the true gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to ask, can you guarantee that physical blessings are guaranteed every time? Because if you minister the the true gospel of Jesus Christ that's centered around Christ, and yes, pray for people. Pray for their healing. Pray that God would, would do a miracle. Pray that God would, and ask him that he would heal someone. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we're telling people that the gospel must contain miracles, signs, and wonders, and if it doesn't contain those things, and if you don't have prosperity, and you're not giving, and you're not having all this financial wealth, and you're not having da-da-da-da-da, then you really are not, you really are just not living your best life. You're, you're really not engaging with heaven and you're really not bringing heaven to earth. And I, w- I would just say, you can't guarantee, can you guarantee those things every time? Can you guarantee that to, to, to these people, even in these other countries? Can you guarantee that every time? Kevin goes on to talk about an hour and 12 minute mark about to telestai, which he says telestai. And he talks about that when Jesus said that it means it's finished, but it also means that it, it has the meaning that it's a debt paid in full. And he equates it to finances and other things. Um, the debt that we owed was for our sin, the judgment rightfully that we deserved for our sin, and that Jesus paid that in full with his blood, with his sacrifice on the cross as the spotless lamb. 
Um, that's what that's referring to. And he continues at the end to talk about the training that people are going to go through and that we can stop events even indefinitely. And I just want to say, how is that working? How did that work? Did he travel back in time and stop COVID? Did he travel back in time and stop the, the financial issues that have been currently going on? How is that working? I know this was in 2018 when he did this, but that's the things I, w- I want to ask. And hopefully I hope and I hope that you will ask those questions. How is that working? You know, people are saying these things and they're not being tested. And I think people flock to these teachings because people crave power. They crave an answer. We want an answer and we want control. But the fact of the matter is we are not in control, y'all. We're not in control of this world. To a certain point, we have authority while we're in this earth that God grants us in different aspects, but we are under authority. And that's the authority of God. And we come back to that He's sovereign. He is sovereign. And you don't need to purchase books like this about getting heaven's attention and praying in heavenly realms and knowing that every single prayer that you that you pray is going to be answered. Do you know what? As a believer, we're told in Scripture how to pray. We're told in 1 John, Jesus told us about the Lord's Prayer and how to pray. There's several different areas in Scripture that we can see how to pray. I encourage you to do a Bible study on that, to do a topical study on, on praying and to see what it means to pray what that looks like, how it's modeled in scripture, what Jesus told his disciples to do and what we can do with the Lord's prayer, how, what Paul told the Philippians to do in in Philippians 4, 6 in how to pray, the, the posture, the attitude that we're supposed to have. These are the things that we can glean from in the word of God in understanding how we're to conduct ourselves in prayer and in other aspects as a Christian. And listening to this whole thing, again, I, I didn't hear the gospel presented in a, at all. I didn't hear true exaltation of Christ. I mean, there was mention here and there uh, in a subtle way, but ultimately it was, it was exalting man. It was exalting him and showing, you know, how special he had become, even though he didn't want to say, expect me to lay hands on you or to call you out or anything. But then he started, he just goes on during the whole time talking about himself And I don't want to discount us testifying of the goodness of God and what he's done for our lives. That certainly is valuable. But when you're basing a teaching um, centered around your life and, and how favored you are and how you have all these finances and the prosperity gospel and, and you hearing from God and you getting all your prayers answered and how you're never sick and this never happens to you and you just, it's all rigged in your favor. I mean, these are all things that he said in, in his teaching on this. And he said it in, in books and, and other things that he's done in broadcasts and, uh, just listening to all that, it it really shines light on the fact of what is not being discussed and what is not being centralized, and that is about God's Word, about God's true Word, and about God Himself. It's really geared towards looking at yourself and, and, all, and all, by the way, thanking God along the way. It is a gospel of self. And I hope that that's clear. Again, if you want to check the link out, you're more than welcome to do that. But um, I would encourage you, as always, to test all things against Scripture. It doesn't matter who says it, including myself. I mean, you need to test all things and, and to stay in the Word and to study the Word and to really think biblically and to use critical thinking and to use proper biblical discernment that's based on a, an understanding of, tr- of Scripture in context. And I also want you to understand this. When we say these things, sometimes people can think of them as dry and mundane, but they're not. This is all part of our relationship with Christ. If we don't understand the word properly, 
if we don't have the proper, if the correct theology, that is going to affect us, and it's going to affect what we believe, if we're believing the truth, or if we're, if we're being led astray, or we're believing something that's deception. This is important. It's important for us to stay in the Word, to remain in the Word, to abide in the Word. Jesus said to the people who were listening to him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We must abide in the word of God in order to understand the truth of who he is and how we are to conduct ourselves in such a way that we glorify God in word and deed and all that we do. I encourage you, sharing what God's done in your life is is important and we want to testify of him but when that becomes the gospel then we've steered off course and so i hope that this has helped you today and i hope that as always that you will take everything back to the word of god and in everything that you do that you will glorify christ be blessed today by the truth of god's word thank you for joining me on this podcast If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.